We've known for years how difficult it can be for patients to navigate our decentralized healthcare system. We also know how hard it can be for providers and payers to ensure that the supply of care is actually meeting demand, much less doing so in an equitable way. Today, we're going to meet some people who are doing something meaningful to solve that problem. Welcome to The Source from the ATA, conversations about telehealth and virtual care from the thought leaders, experts, and visionaries who are working to change the way the world thinks about healthcare. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guests today are Angie Franks, the CEO of Central Logic, and Adam Heller, Director of Healthcare Investment Banking at Ziegler. Today, we're going to talk through some of the ways that Central Logic and their partners at Ziegler are helping to ensure that a patient's care doesn't just look like a series of disconnected episodes. We'll be talking about how we can more effectively load balance the system to provide the right level of care to the right patient at the right time. And we'll be talking about the role of virtual care in leveling the playing field in terms of access to care for some of our most vulnerable populations. Angie and Adam, thanks so much for being with us today on the Source Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So one of the things that we like to do before we dive into the meat of our interview is that I want to give our listeners a little bit of background on who each of you are. Can you give us a sense of what are some things that pointed you to the positions that you're in right now uh, and what it's meant to work together uh, over the last several months? Um, Angie, maybe we can start with you. Oh, sure. Absolutely. My name is Angie Franks. I'm the CEO of Central Logic, and uh, we are a technology and solutions company for healthcare organizations, which is really where I've spent my entire you know, 30 plus years of my career accidentally in the uh, in the healthcare industry working at a variety of technology and operating roles inside of health systems that have re- really I think led me to this uh, place in my career whether that was ERP systems I worked with rural hospital EMR systems spent some time at the advisory board in Washington DC certainly had the opportunity to see our healthcare industry goes through many transformative periods and I found myself in roles where I was working with companies that were really helping to impact and drive change. Outstanding. Thank you, Angie. And Adam, how about you? Well, I've been an investment banker pretty much my whole career, so almost 15 years now, and focused in healthcare. And I did a lot of transactions in traditional healthcare services and technology, but not too much work in the telehealth and virtual care arena. And about six years ago now, uh, my boss who recruited me to Ziegler told me about the wave of the future, which is virtual care, telehealth, and digital health. And at the time, I was somewhat vaguely familiar with it, but I didn't really fully grasp the power of the technology and what it can do to the healthcare system and how it can improve patient access uh, to you know, wide-ranging patient populations. So he recruited me to join. And ever since then, I've uh, immersed myself in the subsector within healthcare technology and really gotten to know and understand really what that technology can bring. And I've continued to learn more every day and just really excited to be a part of the sector. And then uh, as part of that work, I worked with Angie on her uh, investment from a private equity firm uh, last year to further bolster her operations and expanding patient navigation. Fantastic. Well, we're really thrilled to have both of you here. And I think the perspectives you bring are going to be a really interesting combination for our listeners. And I'm wondering if we could start off, like, let's talk about the big picture a little bit. 
you referenced the term care access and orchestration. Can you describe what that means? Because it sounds like a lot more than video visits and even virtual care. Can you give us a sense of what you mean when you talk about that? Sure, absolutely. I'll, I'll um I'll just I'll just you know set the context here on our healthcare system has become and the delivery model has become so much more distributed. And telehealth is is one perfect example. But if you think about where patients and how patients are able to receive care today, they can receive that care in so many different settings, whether they are um, you know, really sick and, and have an acute episode, or they've got chronic conditions, or they're just, you know, generally healthy and well, but need to see the doctor, you know, for the sniffles or or some uh, some virus or or, or medical issue. Uh, their options are plentiful. And and making that decision and getting access to the appropriate setting of care and doing that in some cases with the help of providers helping to make that decision mm-hmm. or just doing that on your own requires some decision making and some facilitation. And so when, when I use the term access and orchestration, it is about taking the friction out of the decision-making process and helping ensure that patients are in the optimal setting of care for whatever their need may be. Outstanding. And that can be a really tricky thing, depending on whether the patient has private insurance or Medicare or Medicaid. Are you focused primarily on the patient as we think about their entry point, or is it more uh, on the entry points themselves uh, when you think about that kind of uh, orchestration. Yeah. So, so from the central logic purview, we are really focusing more on the higher acute patients and and working directly with health systems and health system leadership to ensure that it is easy to get patients moved into the appropriate acute care setting. And you know, many of these health systems have lots of different settings of care, whether that is their highest acuity, you know, level one inpatient facility, a community hospital, a freestanding ED, or something in between, helping to orchestrate that decision process and making it easy to get the patient in the optimal setting for those acute episodes, that's where we focus. Got it. And Adam, I'm really curious, in your time that you spent focusing in this area, what are some of the things that you have seen changing and evolving uh, in terms of the way that patients are entering well, sure. that so, To build on one of Angie's points, I still think patients are struggling with the simple question of where do I find the right care for my condition? Just because there are so many disparate access points mm-hmm. into the healthcare system. So you can go through your family practitioner, there's online directories, you can go to telehealth, you can go to urgent care, you can go to the ER. And it's really difficult on the patient to make the right judgment call on where they should seek care. So I believe the onus is on the healthcare enterprise to help patients find the right location for their care. And that could mean a variety of those locations. It could mean the hospital, it could mean a private practice, it could even mean a retail store. And then the employers and the payers or the risk bearers, the government in our healthcare ecosystem are responsible for helping those patients navigate to the right place. And we've seen that, I'd say, Greg, to get back to your question, dramatically evolve. And we've seen all those stakeholders start to really understand that if we're helping these patients navigate to the right place, 
they're going to receive better care, they're going to be healthier, and it's going to lower the overall cost to treat these populations. It totally makes sense. And I guess one of the things that I'm curious about, we've talked about how the patients are entering the system, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about their progress through the system uh, and the potential to connect uh, episodes of care. Can you say a little bit more about what you're seeing there? Either of you can feel free to jump in on this. Sure. Um, well, why don't I just take a quick stab on the higher higher acuity level and yeah. just talk about, you know, the patient, we've, we have thought so much of, uh, you know, from an episodic standpoint. I think what we're seeing is health systems starting to look at this not quite as episodic as more, and more as a, as a journey, as a continuous and ongoing journey with patients that are part of their health system. So when, when you've got that patient that's been in an inpatient setting and they have reached a level of of health and a, and a lower level of acuity where they can be moved or discharged to the next most appropriate setting, which could be a rehab or a skilled nursing facility, or it could be back to the patient's home. We saw lots of really high acuity patients being managed directly in the home using telemedicine and remote technologies and intervention through COVID, which really just expanded the capacity of health systems to deliver care in the most appropriate setting. A facilitation and a decision needs to get made as to where those patients need to go. And so having a consistent way of doing that, having the right documentation, making sure the patients are discharged to the appropriate facility with whatever that is that they need to uh, keep the continuity of care intact that's what uh, what we help facilitate, and I think I think that is that is key to making sure that that journey for the patient um, yields a successful outcome, and that is patient health and wellness, and you know an ability to get back to you know their their day to day life. Totally makes sense, and you brought up something really important, Angie, and that is the effect that the pandemic has had on the way that we have behaved around. Uh, managing care, but really disrupted some of the bigger picture thinking about, you know, do we need to accelerate some of these changes? And I guess I'm really curious, coming out of the pandemic, are there things that have stood out to you and to you as well, Adam, that really showed up as broken and need to be rethought, repaired, um, re-engineered? Well, sh- well sh- uh, go ahead, Angie. Well, okay. yeah, go ahead, Adam. Well, uh, Greg, I think the, the simple concept that everyone understands, believes in, if you or your loved one has a condition that needs treatment, you want the best possible care for that condition. But achieving the best possible care for that condition has a lot of factors. And I think, you know, obviously the most, the most obvious one is you want that condition cured. So that means getting you to the right provider that has the qualifications and credentials to treat that condition. The great thing about telehealth, so to get back to your point about what's changed, um, telehealth has become much more prevalent and accepted amongst healthcare providers, payers, and the public in general. And telehealth greatly expands the access to providers and clinical resources nationwide. So whether you're going through a direct-to-consumer channel or a B2B channel, we are now able to essentially beam in the right provider to the right situation. And there is no geographic constraints on where that provider sits or where that patient sits. 
So you're always able to match that right patient with the right provider at the right time. And I think that one of the best things that came out of COVID, obviously an awful pandemic, but I would say that the great thing that we've seen is it encourages folks to understand and utilize telehealth technology. So again, the, the telehealth technology comes in from a lot of different angles. There's the very simple use case that I think everyone's very familiar with, what is, hey, I, I have the sniffles, I'm gonna do a doctor's visit on my cell phone and either get a prescription or determine my next steps. But I think the B2B angle on telehealth is really important as well, because that allows you know, remote locations, underserved locations, or simple after hours locations to be able to staff the appropriate providers based on the patients that they are seeing come through their doors at any given time. Because again, you have that nationwide reach of telehealth technology to grab any provider that's available, that's got the right credentials and qualifications to serve that patient and bring them essentially to that patient's uh, face to you know, have that direct interaction to either guide their care or, or you know, treat them directly at the facility or at the home. And I think COVID has really brought apart or brought out the understanding that, hey, this telehealth thing makes a hell of a lot of sense. And there's numerous applications that we can continue to utilize this technology for. What you talk about there, Adam, is to me overcoming some of the space and time barriers that have always historically been associated with delivering care, right? So space in terms of the geography, rural settings, what have you, uh, and time, you know, being the time that a patient has to take off work or the time that a hospital has to staff after hours people. So these space and time breakdowns, it's a really interesting way to think about it. And I guess, Angie, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, over time, how does the fact that we've been able through virtual care to break down some of those space and time barriers, how has that impacted the way that you're thinking about some of these transitions that we talked about in terms of maintaining that continuum of care? Yeah, well, I think it's such a great way of phrasing it, uh, Greg, in terms of some of the changes that we've seen. And, you know, if you if you look at our healthcare system and equate it to like a retail industry, we're really talking about multi-channel delivery of services, right? I mean, we're looking at taking and and utilizing our um, providers, our suppliers of medical care in ways that they can be leveraged and extended and accessible to anyone, anytime, depending on what those needs are. And, and I think that is, that is a great, a great outcome, if you will, of, of, the, of what COVID actually provided for us. And that was a catalyst to change and to change purely out of necessity. And that necessity brought innovation and adoption and now puts us in a place where we're far more comfortable doing things than we might have been had we not had the pandemic. And so so now I think it's it becomes it's responsible responsibility of the health system to look at all these things that we put into place and say, all right, how do we make this a part of our standard care delivery model? And how do we really bake it all in and put it together in a way that feels coordinated and orchestrated, if you use uh, you know the term that I was using earlier, and, and a great experience overall for the patient, regardless of the care that they need. And I think, I think that's where you're going to see the healthcare industry move now in this post 
um, pandemic world is how do we make this part of our our care delivery model for all services. And I'm really curious in in terms of your thoughts about some of the different players in the health ecosystem. And I wonder if you can comment on some of the things that may have been unmet needs or perceived unmet needs by stakeholders like the provider versus the patient versus the payer. Are there things that stand out to you as things that had been unmet needs that we now have an opportunity to meet through rethinking this process? Absolutely. So Adam, I didn't know if you were going to say something, um, but uh, I'll just jump in. Absolutely. I think there have been many unmet needs. And I think I think one that is just really um, going to be interesting to explore here is, is the access for patients that may have been compromised in the past that for whatever reason were disadvantaged or didn't have as much accessibility to healthcare services um, for for whatever reason. And we're seeing a lot of analysis on the um, inequities in our healthcare industry and how can we make access to care more, more equitable. Um, I, I think the pandemic, there were some really um, great examples that came out of the pandemic. One that we um, experienced firsthand at Central Logic, and that was an approach that the state of Arizona took after watching what was happening in New York with demand surging in New York City and accessible um, accessibility, you know, beds and ventilators and critical care staff were being overrun at specific hospitals while others nearby had capacity to take care of patients. The state of Arizona took a very different and very proactive approach. And the in the end, one of the impacts was just what I was describing. And that was for underserved populations, Native American um, Indian reservations that really had enormously high um, infection rates of COVID and served by very small hospitals that would never have been able to handle that level of demand. And it would have significantly compromised patient outcomes. The state of Arizona load balanced that demand and used all the capacity of the state to ensure that all people that needed access to a uh, critical care resource and a COVID bed had that access. And it was all facilitated at the state level. Now, that was a great example of an unmet need that was figured out and planned for and executed very effectively in the midst well, Angie, of Angie, to, to add to that, I'd say hospitals, a core part of their business model is just marketing, getting patients to think of them. If they have a condition, I should go to XYZ hospital. Mm-hmm. But then the next step in that effort is once they've thought of your hospital, how do they find the right entry point? And that's that's where I think that digital front door theme comes into play. It's a buzzword you might hear a lot in today's healthcare technology world. And I, what I think that digital front door theme really means is how can a hospital make it really easy through one centralized point to allow a patient to engage with their clinical resources and then triage that patient to the right setting or provider and then make it really easy to schedule and get that patient seen quickly. Um, so as an example of certain new technologies that hospitals are adopting, there are front-end triage tools that are AI-driven, that have branching logic, and a patient will simply go to a website and fill out a questionnaire and answer questions about their condition. And based on those responses, the AI can then determine 
okay, this may be your condition, but you need to see a provider and this is the best way to do it. Here, we're gonna automate that scheduling process for you. That's a way to, as Angie said, eliminate the friction and allowing patients to get access to the healthcare they need. And I think that's key to the theme here of, of good orchestration. Because I think the logic of a well-functioning health system is finding that right clinical resource for the patient. So for example, a patient with the sniffles shouldn't be going into the ER. A patient with a serious medical condition should be moved to the front of the line and get the access to the right specialist resources they need. So finding the right place for the right patient at the right time is the hallmark of good care orchestration. And then this way, hospitals are getting the high value, high acuity patients that they should be seeing. And the telehealth vendors are getting the high volume, low acuity patients that they should be seeing. Therefore, resources are balanced and the costs to deliver the care are tailored directly to the needs of that care. And it does sound like the way that you've described it, it sounds like an everyone wins scenario in terms of not completely overloading the healthcare professionals in one place and underutilizing those in another, uh, you know, for patients to be able to get the care that they need when they need it, as opposed to, you know, being stuck in line, you know, behind low acuity patients when they are have high acuity need. Uh, and even for the payers, as you said, like making sure that people are getting the right care. Uh, at the at the right cost level, so it it does strike me as a win win win, and I think that's exactly. probably the point yeah. You're and making, I right? think the employers and payers can probably still do a better job helping navigate patients to the right place. I'd say historically, there's been very limited engagement by these risk bearers in getting patients to the right place. But I think more and more they're starting to understand that they can actually lower their overall cost by helping the navigation effort. Um, I think a great way to do that is just reimbursement. And then going back to COVID, I think the reimbursement has gotten a hell of a lot better for telehealth, given what the pandemic brought and the need to deliver these resources to these populations that needed it. And I think you're, you're going to continue to see the reimbursement there and then even the engagement from the employers or from the payers to directly work with their members or employees to say, if these are your healthcare needs, we want to steer you in this direction. Because we know, based on our data, that this is the best place for you to achieve that care, and you're going to get the best long-term outcome if you follow our plan of attack. Well, and Adam, you make such good points because what we're really, what you're really saying there is you're starting to align then getting the site and the individual practitioner practicing at the top of their license. So you're aligning the revenue, you're aligning the cost. The health system is becoming very proactive and very engaged in helping to coordinate and orchestrate that entire patient journey. It is a big shift from, you know, it's it's no longer about we've built it, they will come, but it's about how do we proactively engage and leverage all of our channels for delivering care to help orchestrate patients to the optimal setting, keep practitioners practicing at the top of their license and align, you know, revenue and expense. And on the back end, it's true on the discharge process as well. So it's not just coming in the door, but it's also not leaking out the back end either and saying, okay, now we're going to send you out. Here's all your follow-up instructions good luck with that. It's no, let's take a very proactive and orchestrated response on the back end as well and ensure that patients 
are doing the right things on a follow-up care basis, are in the right setting of care, and and that might may mean following up with some telehealth checkups as well. You know, what you're describing in terms of this rethinking of orchestrating care, it makes so much sense, but it sounds like it must be enormously data and systems intensive. You know, Adam, you talked about the use of AI uh, as a mechanism for triaging patients uh, into and through the system. Can you can you each talk a little bit about the role that data and access to that data plays in this process? Well, yeah, I think data and analytics are key to making this all work properly. Uh, the more data we capture, uh, the smarter we're going to get, the smarter the machines are going to get, and that can make better and better determinations for where patients should deliver or get, receive their care. But the problem is data is complex, especially in healthcare. It's tricky to capture. It's tricky to understand. And that's where I think the human-machine partnership has made great strides in starting to better understand what are the underlying causes that we need to start to monitor and capture for certain conditions? And then what's the optimal way to treat that? Um, I think we can get better and better at doing that. And, and we have been. I'd say one great example is social determinants of health. But that's not something you heard about likely 10 years ago. But now we understand that there are certain lifestyle issues that are causing people to be less healthy. And we understand that if you make improvements in those underlying lifestyle issues, you're going to get better downstream healthcare outcomes. So now we're starting to put into place either better monitoring tools or better services that start to address those needs of those populations. And now we're starting to catch things earlier and we're starting to keep people healthier before they have those acute events. And therefore, everybody wins again. The patients are healthier. The payers are have to put out less costs. And then the providers are truly only seeing the patients that are in and in emergent need of those services at the right time. Yeah, but I think I think the other point that I would um, add on to what Adam just said and to your question, Greg, is you are talking about um, patients that are not necessarily in a setting of care. So, so these are we're now talking about spanning beyond the walls of the hospital, beyond the walls of an inpatient or even outpatient setting. And therefore, integration to many different systems and technologies becomes fundamental to the ability to deliver care, the ability to orchestrate and navigate patients to the right setting of care. You can't do it if you cannot highly interoperate. So um, I think we have, we have a ways to go in this industry to really all start working together and develop those interoperability standards where we can truly serve patients and serve communities and do that, uh, do that very effectively across multiple platforms. This isn't, these aren't things that can all be done inside the walls of a hospital, inside of your, you know, systems EMR. So it is, it is interoperability, I think is, is absolutely a critical success factor in this and requires planning and cooperation from lots of different parties. And I think you're, what, you, what you described, it makes all the sense in the world. And I guess I'm really curious about the role that central logic plays once you get outside those walls. You know, you talked about 
um, the important work that was done with uh, the Navajo Nation in Arizona. Adam, you referenced that the social de- determinants of health have to be taken into consideration here because people experience their environments in different ways, and those environments have different impacts on their health care. Not everybody is down the street from a clinic. Not everybody has access to high-speed internet. What, what are some of the ways that you're addressing you know, first of all, understanding some of the needs of these underserved populations and then actually building them into your models. I'm really curious about what that looks like. Yeah, well, you know, in that in the case of uh, of Arizona with the Navajo Nation, it was all about ensuring that all regions of the state, all people in, in the state of Arizona had appropriate access to care and and were ready and prepared whether you know they um, if they had a patient surge or not they were able to distribute that demand across more uh, providers to to keep the balance level loaded and not let one facility become overrun and so so areas that would have traditionally been underserved when that when that spike in demand happened in the Navajo Nation um, and people's clinical outcomes were would have been significantly compromised because the capacity of the hospital in that area was very, very small. Those patients, so in, in terms of extending beyond the walls, it's about not only taking the call, identifying the available resources, but then handling all of the logistics on getting the patient from point A to point B and doing so efficiently. And that would be one example of just spanning beyond the walls is handling all the logistics to get the patient to the optimal setting and doing so efficiently. Yeah, it is a tremendously complex process. And I think, and Adam, please sure. feel well, free to Sure. I think uh, you're not going to find many dissenting opinions that access should come with no bias. Everyone should be afforded the same opportunities to seek care for their condition. No question. And I think telehealth is really allowing that to become more of a reality. I think one important point is it it lowers the overall cost of care. So as the cost of care goes down, the ability to deliver healthcare to more people efficiently goes up dramatically. And I think this this will enable the access to these underserved or rural communities to become more of a reality. Uh, A couple of great examples are the doctor's visits on your cell phone or a kiosk in a retail store. Those are great examples of technologies and things that just didn't exist. Uh, even recently, you know, five or 10 years ago, you wouldn't see anything like that. So I think that the, the economic barriers are starting to come down as we find ways to deliver healthcare less expensively. And then something I mentioned earlier is the geographic barriers. And that's a big problem, especially in rural and underserved mm-hmm. communities, because the right specialists or providers are very difficult to hire and staff in those locations. It, it could just be an economical issue, just the, the budgetary needs of those facilities to hire the right providers, or it could be really location. These could be you know rural locations in the middle of nowhere, where it's gonna be really difficult to staff a specialist on site. So when you have a patient coming through your doors that has a specific specialty need, most of the time in those locations, there isn't the appropriate resources to treat that patient. And that's again, where telehealth comes into play, where a telehealth provider whether it's a specialist. So it could be, you know, someone's coming in with stroke symptoms and there's no neurologist on site, but hell, there's a lot of neurologists that are available across the country. You can beam that neurologist into that location to visit the patient at their bedside and work with that on-site provider to provide that appropriate treatment 
where in the case of a stroke, the treatment is crucially important to deliver to them as quickly as possible. So these are just some great examples of where the, these types of technologies that are becoming more and more prevalent are going to help these underserved populations get the healthcare access that they need. And it sounds like a really cool hybridization of care. You referenced earlier the combination of man and machine uh, having to come together to be able to solve this problem. And that's a great example of it. I think that we could probably do this for hours, but I'm going to have to cut our conversation short for today. I'm so grateful for both of you being a part of this. Adam Heller from Ziegler, Angie Franks from Central Logic. Thanks for being with us on The Source. We're going to have links to you and to your companies in our show notes. So if you're listening now and would like to get in touch with Angie or Adam, uh, all that information is going to be accessible to you there. Uh, but for now, thanks to both of you for being a part of the show. Great discussion. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thank you.